with the NBA season coming to a close, we are very excited for playoffs. But unfortunately, playoffs aren't here yet. There's another week, and there's a lot of brutal games going on, and a lot of players being injured and stuff like that. So today, we thought we would do a podcast in in light of uh, the 2018 Hall of Fame class, specifically highlighting two beloved Pacific Northwest players, Ray Allen and Steve Nash. Um, out of all the guests we've had, everyone has said Steve Nash or Ray Allen was an influence for them. Uh, and so we're just going to kind of talk about them, some of their highs and lows in their career, and yeah, just kind of break down their careers. Uh, both these players are legends, obviously, in the Hall of Fame, and I think they both changed the game to a certain degree. And yeah, what do you guys what do you guys think about that? Yeah, so just well, first of all, what I want to mention is just I'm also just in love with Steve Nash. He uh, is an island raised boy, just like myself. Um, I lived probably three hours away from like uh, where he grew up in Victoria. I've been I played basketball like at the high school that um, kind of that. He was in and also played for so it's pretty cool when on the island it's just such a big culture thing where people will like always bring up Steve Nash at every single sports camp that I went to growing up they'd always talk about Steve Nash where like at the old high school where like he used to go to the coaches would say you know you have some realistic talent but I mean you aren't going to make that step to the NBA one coach like allegedly from like everybody who's coached like a basketball camp for me on the island has said Steve like you're not going to be making it into the NBA he kind of laughed at the thought of Steve Nash ever getting good enough to make it to the NBA so allegedly what he did was change high schools to a small like a private high school called St. Michael's where he found kind of people who believed in him were able to kind of pour into him and now we have one of the legends being inducted in the Hall of Fame this year, winning two MVPs and significantly changing the game. So with touching on how he kind of changed the game, um, I'm going to mostly focus with him in Phoenix. In Phoenix, in his MVP years, was where we see like the most drastic change. And this is really what everybody has come to know as like the run-and-gun offense. So before this time in the NBA, there's... Um, kind of the, where the phrase defense wins championships comes in. Everybody stressed defense and iso ball. Um, you have really dominant centers like Shaquille O'Neal coming into the picture where sometimes all offenses were, were get set up in the half court, hit it to the center, let him go to work. Mm -hmm. So with Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash's sons, they became easily one of the most exciting teams to watch because of the pace they played. It was enough pace that um, one of the guys on the bench on the 2005-2006 season wrote a book just about the Phoenix Suns, just about how they changed the game, called Seven Seconds or Less, where Mike D'Antoni was encouraging his players to get it off within seven seconds of the shot clock. So this completely changed it because where you have this old way of thinking where you played half-court games where teams would you know, go back on defense and kind of get set up from there. You had a team that was now pushing it down the court 
and they were able to kind of score at will without the defense um, being established or set up first. So this kind of marks a change where when you look at some of the best teams and even some of the worst teams that are trying to be good, you have such a dramatic increase in the pace of the league. So that's a trend that you see like just rise from those kind of older generations of basketball playing. And you look at some of the best teams in the league, like Steve Kerr, who is kind of with the Phoenix organization during those times, and what he's done with Golden State's offense and kind of a run-and-gun team, and the Houston Rockets, like especially with, of course, the influence of Mike D'Antoni on there. That's really interesting that you mentioned Kerr and D'Antoni, because both still in the league, as we know, and both especially as when I say they've evolved because the game has evolved with the three-point shot and both those teams, as we know, love to shoot the three ball and are encouraged to shoot the three ball. And so I'm sure that like that wasn't the case in 05-06 what you're describing, but that's really interesting how these coaches have also adapted and evolved, but still kind of had that mentality of, of wanting to get a shot off pretty quick. Yeah. It, it goes even farther to a team that has, like sometimes it's the easiest to look at trends in the in basketball by looking at the teams that have consistently be good. I look at the Spurs, who used to be you know twenty eighth in pace um, and like or and twenty eighth in points per game when they were still in championship contention back in o five o six. But then as the years progressed, seeing this change to three point shooting to a fast paced game. They ended up being second in pace and seventh in 2011 when they're still competing for championships. So I think that's just a testament to realizing these trends in the NBA and kind of moving with those. And it's also a testament to like what Steve Nash did under Mike D'Antoni. I know a lot of people are going to probably listen to this and be like, oh, well, it's Mike D'Antoni. He went to Houston. He's doing the exact same thing. So he's the one that's really changing the game. But when you look at the Phoenix Suns, Mike D'Antoni was there a year before Steve Nash and still didn't have a successful season until Steve Nash was able to be that point guard, to be that facilitator, to be like this kind of version of James Harden, like uh, as we see today. Um, So I think that just through observing that, it's just very evident that Steve Nash is marking this change. And I think that really played into him being awarded those two MVPs, being on such an exciting team, an exciting team to watch, um, and just having that overall influence on the game. I think it's interesting what you said, uh, kind of about James Harden, and like he's now with Mike D'Antoni. If you watch kind of like old Nash highlights, uh, while Harden is a, like I'd say a better slasher and everything. Um, they play very similar games with the pick and roll, with their three-point shot. Um, so that's kind of like D'Antoni's system, like the quick offense. Um, and you can almost make a case that like Nash in his MVP year is almost similar to this year with James Harden. <clears throat> Both players not really known for their defense, <laughs> uh, but are just dynamic offensive players. Like they not only can score, but they can facilitate the offense. They can really just like push their offense to the next level. And I think that's something Steve Nash is like one of, one of his best qualities was his ability to run an offense. 
Mm-hmm. And you see Harden, I think it's interesting you mentioned Harden too, because I think this season we've seen Harden. I know he, yeah, I think he averaged double figures for assists last season, mm-hmm. but I feel like this season he's been passing a lot more, not just in the pick and roll, yeah. but especially to those corner shooters and stuff. So D'Antoni, you're right, I, is very much influential, but man, watching Steve pass was oh, unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah, and you can't take that away from the player. When you look at just D'Antoni's system, yeah. he's had times where, you know, he's also flopped, like when he was the coach for the Knicks or for the Lakers, which we'll probably get into later talking about Steve Nash. <laughs> but when you have such an influential player, that all becomes possible. Yeah, and you look at Steve Nash, or like the Phoenix Suns the year before Nash got there, and I believe they were a 20-win team, and then the next year, Steve Nash comes in, his MVP season, they go from 20 wins to 62. That's an insane jump. Like, so Steve Nash was a huge part of that, and like, that, that to me was insane when I saw that, because you, you just don't hear about that. Mm-hmm. You think of a player that could do that in today's NBA, there's one or two. You throw LeBron on a team, that could probably do it. Or I, I honestly can't think of anyone else that have that big of an impact. Mm-hmm. It's, and I think him being Canadian is such a, oh. another big thing, especially yeah. for us and you know the people listening. Uh, being from Canada and like, I like the Pacific Northwest here, is, is so cool and I don't see anyone coming up or in the league right now that is a better Canadian basketball player than Steve Nash. I, I think it's pretty safe to say he's the best Canadian player ever right now. Right now, yeah, for sure. Even one of the best athletes of Canada. Yeah. I think for the way he, tra- totally. he trailblazed and, and whatnot. And also just a stand-up character too. Throughout the career, he never had, th- that I can recall, any instances of off-court, uh, you know, Incidents of any nature. He was just a very stand-up guy, and, and still is. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I think talking about kind of like maybe thinking even top ten Canadian athletes of all time. We've had very few in Canada, other than hockey players. Obviously, we've had very few people to reach and hold the absolute peak of their sport for, mm-hmm. for a time. And for, for a time, he was the best player. Yeah, that played in the NBA. One just one comment on Steve Nash and kind of. D'Antoni and kind of comparing him to Harden. Harden has almost double the usage rate under D'Antoni, like and like control of the ball that Steve did in his MVP seasons. Nash had like a twenty, like a usage rate of like twenty compared to Harden at thirty-seven. So they're relying a lot more on Harden as far as just carrying the ball and controlling the ball than than they did with Nash in Phoenix. But mm-hmm. yeah, Riley, what are what are some of the do you think Steve Nash's best moments as a player? Uh, well, I think to the game when he had that massive cut on his nose. Yeah. Just his ability oh, yeah. to play through that. He was bleeding down up and down the court. Yeah, and that was the Western Conference semifinals. Yeah. Which is, you know, a huge game. It wasn't just like an any season game. It was 2007 Western Conference finals. Yeah. Against and the Spurs. Just that, like the toughness he showed in that is incredible. Yeah. 31 points, 8 assists, 61% shooting that game. His playoff numbers are insane to me as well. His regular season numbers, like, you look at them like, okay, he averaged a double-double most of the time. Uh, You know, 15 points, 11 assists. Then his playoff numbers, he goes to, like, 
20 plus points, 18 assists. It's absolutely insane. While he wasn't able to win any titles, which is unfortunate, and I think that would solidify him even more. But his his playoff play was absolutely incredible. Yeah, another playoff thing. The, the score did a kind of a top five of, of Steve's best moments, but it was again in that 07 playoff run that the, the Suns had. He had 23 assists versus the Lakers in yeah. L.A., which is absolutely wow. incredible. The man could pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some of the, and they're not easy passes too. No, it was. I think it was a much more physical game. And, and we, as we kind of talked about the three point shot is now so prevalent in today's NBA. But even you look at back at 07, 10, 10, 10 <laughs> give or take ten years, the the three point shot was not as prominent as it is now. No, definitely. And so it was a lot of inside stuff, and he would he would pass the ball so well. And his shooting percentages are also. Absolutely incredible. There, it is unbelievable. Oh, he almost... 50, 40, 90 club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For like, almost his entire number. career. Yeah. Like, okay. I believe, what is he, a 48% from the field or something like that for, uh, over his career? And that's, like, come on. <laughs> that, you, that just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Especially from a three-point shooting point guard. At that time, like, that's unheard of. Yeah, for, for Steve Nash's entire career, he's a 49% shooter from the field and just a shade under 43% from three. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, and what is it 89 free throw? Um, free throw percentage is nine, 90%. Yeah, so he's almost a 50, 40, 90. For a career. For a career. Yeah. Well, he's, Incredible. I believe it's him, him and Larry Bird are the only players to accomplish the 50, 40, 90 club. Twice, at least two times in a career, and Nash did it four times. Yeah, wow, disgusting. It's yeah, disgusting. Yeah, in case you didn't get that, it's it's also funny too. It's some of his best moments. I think they're always against a team that he would eventually play for. So, 2005 Western Conference Semifinals uh, versus the Mavericks, or I guess he played for them. He, before. Yeah, he played. Sorry, he played for them before. But still, but he. It was incredible. He had a, that was when he scored his career high, forty eight points on seventy one percent shooting. <laughs> they lost that game uh, in game four, and then he came back with game five with thirty four points, thirteen boards, which is kind of astounding when you look at his wow. figure and yeah. 12, 12 assists, uh, and that was a, a win. But just incredible, Steve Inc- Nash, incredible numbers. He was just a competitor. Yeah, and in any situation. If you gave him the ball, he would make a good, smart decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, I think everyone thinks of Steve Nash, oh, pass first, pass first. But I think what's very underrated is that he would score the ball, too. Yeah. And a lot of guys, especially, I don't know if you saw that clip of Rondo a few weeks ago when he had a wide-open layup and kind of threw it back for, uh, I think, Solomon Hill for a floater. But a lot of guys now will try to get assists as, like, a stat pattern. You know, or even you'll see Harden has a, an open layup, but he'll just dish it to Capella for an easy bucket. But Nash was was thoroughly; he would take the best available opportunity yeah. for his team to win, and it was just awesome. And speaking of Dallas, I think his time in Dallas was really underrated. Him and Dirk together yeah. was a really cool combination, um, kind of like the white version of Kobe <laughs> and Shaq in a way. If you're looking at that time, and and also just very different where, you know, Kobe and Shaq were very much a kind of 
shooting and dunking. Yeah. Where uh, Nash and Dirk were kind of pick and roll, pick and roll, (laughs) passing stuff like that. Um, But just such a cool player. Yeah. Just going off of that, because we we talked about how Steve Nash is obviously like considered the greatest Canadian basketball player of all time. But where do you think Steve Nash kind of ranks worldwide? All time, the best, the best kind of uh, global players outside of the states. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Outside. No, yeah, so, yeah, yeah that makes sense. So best international, like international. Yeah, okay. That's the word I'm looking okay. for. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's tough to say, because you look at young guys coming up. You have Giannis, who I think he has a high ceiling. Has a huge, like a very high ceiling. Porzingis. Porzingis. High ceiling. But then, you know, obviously, I it's almost tough for me not to say Dirk as like the best international yeah um, yeah we talked about that last week Dun- we were... yeah I think doesn't Duncan technically also qualify as being not American yeah Duncan was Cayman Islands yeah right? Virgin Islands Virgin Islands yeah. sorry Duncan would be in there too yeah so that's an interesting because Hakeem yeah yeah Matumbo but not really. Matumbo but even, even all these players like when you say Matumbo Matumbo isn't known for like no his defense right yeah. but Nash also, like all around, is just such a good player, mm-hmm. and I, I like Dirk is too. But again, you can criticize Dirk's defense quite a bit. Yeah, but you can do, you can do the same for Nash. Though. You can do the same for Nash, but he would steal the ball too. Yeah, he was nasty at stealing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not that that is what makes you a good defensive player, but I don't know. I think he's got to be right now. Okay, let's let's do like players that have retired. I think yeah. he's top five. For best international players, yeah, I think I think it's very safe to say top five. Yeah, I think top five. I, I think I'd have I'd have Hakeem above him for what yeah. Hakeem accomplished okay. as a player, but yeah, I think he'd be in the he'd be in contention for number two. I, I'd probably I might even put Duncan. I think I'd put Duncan over him because of the titles. Uh, so I'd put him maybe three behind those two players. Yeah, and even maybe. above Dirk in that list. I think him and Dirk are tough. right are right tight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially with like Dirk. Uh, just on the verge of getting, it was like he's he's on the verge of achieving another yeah. uh, scoring milestone. Yeah, yeah. If him, if he gets to play I'll, next year, yeah. I put him tied with I put him tied with Dirk. Right? You're, you're starting <laughs> to convince tough. me of putting Dirk. <laughs> it's tough. So maybe I'll put Dirk in there, and I got him at four now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we're missing someone, but that's a, that's another tangent. Um, out of all these good things, what, what do you think is a low point of Nash's career, Riley? I mean. It's pretty obvious that it's his time. Well, I, I, I'd say there's a few. One is the fact that he never made it to the finals. And two, I would say his time with the Los Angeles Lakers. But, you know, that's attributed to injuries, age, it being a different game, him slowing down a little. Yeah. I think the fact that he never won a title is probably the low point of his career. Yeah. That Lakers trade was was pretty bad. Kyle, why don't, you, why don't you, for people who aren't quite remembering that Lakers trade, why don't you walk us through what that what that trade looked like? Sure. Yeah. So it was in it was in the summer of 2012, and the Lakers traded two first round picks. Uh, one was a 2013 first rounder and a 2015 first rounder. Wow. So the Lakers traded those to Phoenix. Now, the 2015 first rounder that pick hasn't even happened yet because it had protections on it, so it hasn't actually gone. And now it's the pick is owned by 
Philly or or no, not it was owned by it got traded to Philly and now it's owned by Boston from the Fultz trade last year. So that one first rounder is still kicking around, but they traded two first rounders mm-hmm. for him and then immediately signed him to a three year twenty eight million dollar contract, hmm. which did not work out. Yeah, and twenty twelve he was an All Star that year. Yeah, that that was his last his last All Star appearance because yeah. he played quite a bit of that first. His first season with the Lakers. Yeah, 50 games. He played 50 games, and then the following season he only played 15, and then they actually paid him for another full season after that in which he didn't play. Yeah. He just was at home. So. Yeah, I guess that was a low point. I think it, it was just... Yeah. It, it, anytime you see a player, especially a player of his caliber, get to the end of their career and they're not getting to play, it's frustrating. Yeah, you saw with Kobe. You Kobe's know. a great example. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and it's difficult because when you look at that trade, a lot of people have disappointment because of the expectations that were set for the Lakers. Like, Kobe was still competing at his all-star level. Can we not forget that Dwight Howard Dwight, was on that yeah. team and Dwight, well. I was just going to say, yeah. and Dwight Howard coming out of Orlando, where people were expecting him to be, like, the next, you know? Yeah, Shaq. Next, yeah, Shaq, next big, best man, big man. In the, he was the best big man in the league at the time, in a lot of people's minds. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's just... Yeah. That baffles me. People thought that team Who? was going to win the title. Because oh, Nash, and they, and they, absolutely. They went into the playoffs as the eighth seed. What was their lineup then? So they would have had Nash, Kobe, Artest, Artest. I believe. Is, pa- is, is Pau still in LA? Uh, yeah, I think so. Pau's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So just, Very interesting. Th- I think like a combination of those high hopes kind of gets to fans when they see somebody and... It, it kind of gets lost that yes, he was he was aging. There's injuries, and I mean like that's gonna that's gonna put a detriment to anybody's career. Yeah. But I think just with the high stature of like how the Lakers were held going into that, like it that's probably adds to the disappointment. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's just stats lie sometimes. You know, you can't take good stats and and bring a couple players with great stats and put them all together because they're all coming from different systems. So. Mm. Or Orlando, uh, Stan Van Gundy, Orlando, that Dwight came from. Yeah. Uh, D'Antoni was D'Antoni still coaching Phoenix that year? No. Anyways, whoever that was, they were all different systems, and that would have been Phil Jackson's Lakers still. So very, very different. Or Byron Scotts. Anyways, you know what I mean. You, yeah, you take yeah. three different players and you you put them in the system, but stats lie sometimes. Uh, totally. Speaking of stats, Kyle, do you have any fun stats for? For the people about about Steve Nash, sure. So I think I think we kind of we got to a few of them talking about the the fifty forty ninety club mm-hmm. and those things. Just like a brief rundown, just um, about Nash. Like, so he was an eight time All Star. Six of those All Stars came past the age of thirty. He made the All Star game six times after the age of thirty, which is so counter what we're yeah. we're used to seeing with that really being when people are slowing down. Uh, he was seven-time All-NBA, and three of those were first teams. Uh, five times he led the NBA in assists, and then, as we talked about, a two-time MVP winner, and he won, and winning back-to-back Incredible. MVPs. Um, combined for those two MVP seasons, uh, he shot four, just under 44% from three. So it'd be interesting to see Steve Nash in, in the modern NBA yeah. with, mm. with those kind of shooting percentages. And it's only like, I think he was only shooting four threes a game, three, four threes a game. But mm. still, those percentages hold for pretty much his entire career. Um, yeah, fif- 51% on, on twos and uh, was averaging 17.2 points a game. So 
pretty pretty amazing to, when you look through his stats to see somebody score the way he did and rack up the assists the way he did. It's, yeah, it's I think one thing you said like about him, he really hit his prime later in his career. Yeah, which you don't typically see, and I thought that that really blew my mind to kind of think like he was good in Dallas and everything, but then really when he went to Phoenix, he almost reinvented himself and kind of found that next gear and was able to uh, really step it up. Mm-hmm. And I, what I love about Nash is, it, you know, I'm, you guys know, I love the, the culture that certain players bring. And I think he brought such a, such a good culture to everything he was a part of and he made the people around him better. So when you think of names like Josh Howard, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, you picture them, you picture, you picture Sean Marion, Amari in their Phoenix jersey, maybe, you know, catching a lob or Duncan in Phoenix, and Nash was a part of that. You think of Josh Howard when he was, you know, playing really well. Steve Nash was feeding him the ball, and it's just so cool to see him make some of these guys that, you know, who knows what their career would have been like without Steve Nash. Fun fact, friend of the show, Boris Diaw. Oh, come on. Got to play with Steve Nash in Phoenix yeah, yeah. for a little bit. Bonjour. And, uh, you know, that was really a, a big stepping stone for him, mm-hmm. playing with Steve Nash. Well, just a cool thing, too, that I just remembered. Uh, Dan Tony loves to run uh, a Spain pick and roll. Yeah. If, if you don't know what that is, uh, Google it. But they used to run, they used to run a, a Spain pick and roll with Diao as kind of the second screener. Because Diao was a phenomenal passer. More so in San Antonio, I'd say. But mm. he definitely, I think that was kind of his foot in the door, too. And yeah, who knows? Boris, man. We're waiting for you to come on. That's a guess. <laughs> We're waiting for the call. We're waiting for the call, man. You know where to find <laughs> us. Um, yeah, and this Hall of Fame class has been awesome with another with another player, Jason Kidd, who is very similar to Steve Nash. I did a Twitter poll when they first announced, and I kind of was seeing, you know, who would you want to build a dynasty around, Jason Kidd or Steve Nash? We won't get too much into Jay Kidd because... We're kind of focusing on, on two players here, but a, a really good class going into the Hall of Fame and very two similar players that I think changed the game to equal amounts, maybe Nash a bit more. Well, you think yeah. about Steve Nash and Jason Kidd, they're two and three on the all-time assists. Yeah. You know, right behind John Stockton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when I look at Jason Kidd, I, I'm even like more interested, like Kyle, you brought up, it would be interesting to see Steve Nash's play in the modern game but kind of what i talked about is that steve nash really influenced to create this run and gun offensive game and offensive spreading the floor three points shooting um kind of style of play where jason kidd is very different it would be interesting to see somebody like his adjustment i mean of course he's probably going to have even more opportunities for assists with a spread floor but it's also interesting because he's not primarily known for his scoring, where like in the NBA today, we that's probably the most dominant scoring position, I would argue, is yeah. the point guard position. Just the depth of how many good scoring point guards there are in the league. And Jason mm-hmm. Kidd doesn't exactly like fit in that category. Yeah. What's interesting, too, is the, is the, the title. The mm-hmm. one title that, that separates them. Because Kidd won with the... Mavericks in yeah, was 2010, it 2010? Yeah, so and then beat the Heat. Yeah, yeah. which was kind of shocking because he was old at that time too. Yeah, yeah, and he really stepped up that game. Yeah, kid, kid made the all made all defensive team nine times too. 
Well, he's, in he's his career. He's also second all time for steals. Yeah, and uh, also has five led the league in assists five times. Yeah, yeah. He was, both of them were were so such efficient players. So like just dominant from the point guard position in a way that like now we don't see. Yeah. Now we see. You know, if it's a pick and roll, it's well, well, someone fading away for a three off of it. Yeah, and I would I would say we see point guards being dominated, but not in the way that these two players yeah. were, right? Just very like, different. Yeah, so very cool. But the other player that we want to highlight is Mr. Shuttlesworth. Mm, Ray, yes. Sugar Ray Sugar Allen. Ray. Um, I know he's been in the headlines a lot lately with some of his book and Celtic <laughs> drama. Yeah. I, could, I could touch on that a bit later, but... He was an incredible player. Absolutely. Ray Allen was a phenomenal player. I think definitely an impactor for, again, our demographic, being Seattle, the Supersonics. Mm. If you don't know what the Seattle Supersonics are, close whatever device you're listening to this on and take a long walk uh, and then come back and Google the Seattle Supersonics. <laughs> but an, an incredible player and a champion, a cha- two-time champion as well. Yep. So. Yeah, definitely, like, touching on how he changed the game, probably less so than Nash, but uh, we do see that kind of modern um, style of just emphasizing the three-point line. Mm -hmm. And we see Ray Allen emerge as, you know, one of your typical, you know, three-point step-up shooters for a team. And, like... He, he held the record for most three points in a, in a season, I believe, before Steph. And in a, his, I think, still holds the record for most in a All career. Time. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you see that kind of encouraging guys in our league, such as the Currys. Such as, like, and also with big men even going out to shoot. I know Rayon wasn't a big man, but just that emphasis around the three-point line... We just see just the entire game is kind of shifting just around that arc for the offense, which really creates there's such a spread of the floor. And, um, yeah, also, like you mentioned with <laughs> Shuttleworth, I, I'm always going to remember him as probably the best uh, NBA-turned-actor <laughs> for <laughs> for that movie. 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, oh. that is a good film to watch. Wait, when you talk about... <laughs> the best basketball movies. There's like, the, like the less serious ones. I would say, White Men Can't Jump, and He Got Game, Above the Rim. Those are like classic movies, and He Got Game. Uh, Ray Allen kills it in that. I, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. And also just touching on like the championships that he won. Like that. That's also going to be something that he's going to be remembered for. For the one in the Celtics and just that incredibly important moment for um, the Heat against the Spurs where he makes that step back three. Um, when I when I always think, and this is why I think it gets so important, because when you're comparing even somebody like LeBron James for in the category of being the best player you know, that ever played the game, you're always looking at championships. But one of those championships, I always go... Man, you better thank Ray Allen for that. <laughs> Big time. Because <laughs> with that play was such a championship-defining moment that I was just so happy to witness. Really cool. 
Yeah, well, and just to, to briefly speak on to speak on that, when you talk about you talk about LeBron and how, how different things would have been if LeBron had come out with one, just with one title yeah. from the time in Miami, just like what the image would have been like. Um, even now, maybe reco- would have been recovered a little bit if if he wins the title in Cleveland as he did. But if he would have left Miami with one title. There would have been a lot a lot more talk about LeBron and the lack of winning. And they yeah. would have lost back to back years, right? Because yes. the Mavericks beat them the year prior. No, so they won. They lost to the Mavs. Yeah, they beat, and the, they thunder. beat the Thunder, and they, oh. so they would have actually lost. They would have lost twice in a row had they returned to lose as they did in uh, his fourth year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but they would have lost three of four times in the finals in his time. Yeah, back backing up a bit. I know Ray Allen. You associate him automatically with a shooter. Yes, but in his early days in Milwaukee. Again, this is actually a time that, like, I don't think any of us were really watching the league. Mm-hmm. Nope. Um, but he was a good, a, a good like, driver as well. He actually, uh, his three-point shots, his rookie season, he made the least. He, he only made 1.4 uh, per game. And then he slowly got better. And then averaging in 05-06, one of his, actually, sorry, 06-07, his last year in Seattle... Ray Allen averaged three made threes a game, it, which is, yeah, sure. I know now that's like, oh, okay, like Curry does that every night, Harden does that every night, but at that time, yeah, it was deadly, yeah, deadly, deadly. I think it's kind of interesting when you look at Allen, Ray Allen's stats. Like you could almost transport Ray Allen's stats to now, and you'd look at him and you'd be like, okay, you know, looks good, which is amazing to say mm-hmm. compared to a lot of players in, yeah. in the mm-hmm. early mid two thousands. I, one thing that stuck out to me when look when looking at Ray Allen is just how much he scored, mm-hmm. like especially in the oh, yeah. like the four years in Seattle are probably, I, I would argue probably his best um, accumulation of four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was scoring in like you mentioned in oh six oh seven he scored twenty six and a half points a game. He was an all star all four years in Seattle, and I don't I don't know I'm sure we could find him if we really looked how many players you could find. That have had an impact on three different fan bases in the way that Ray Allen has. Mm. Like I feel like it's a great point. In Milwaukee, Milwaukee, a lot of this has to do with the fact that Milwaukee hasn't had a lot of star players come through there. Obviously, they have Giannis now, but before. So I think a lot of like Milwaukee diehard Milwaukee basketball fans would grab on to those early years of, of Ray Allen. Yeah, rest in peace, Michael Red. Yeah, he was a three-time All Star though during his time there. Then you look at Seattle, right? I think he's one of the most, he'll be one of the most remembered players in Sonic's franchise history. Mm-hmm. Um, spends only four and a half seasons with them and then goes to Boston and will forever be remembered as being a part of that group that won titles. Yeah. Oh, so that's, yeah. that's three, the, the, really the three main teams he played on other than the, the stop in Miami at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. And he had a serious impact on all of those fan bases and will be forever remembered yeah. by all of them. So... The big another Baker and Browns divide here. So the Bakers are BC boys, but the Browns are Ontario boys. So I think we associate Ray Allen more with his Boston experience. Yeah. But you guys would associate Ray Allen more with the Seattle. I, I think Is, so. Do, yeah. you, do you have like a highlight from his time in Seattle? Um, I don't actually necessarily have like like one a, moment. A one moment. Okay. Um, but I know that he was part of the group that really got me into like first watching basketball. Like yeah. as, as I've mentioned before, I kind of followed the franchise from Seattle to Oklahoma and right when I was like kind of like first 
getting into basketball, like understanding like the game, watching the game more. Um, that, those were the days that um, Ray Allen was was playing on Seattle. So I I guess like I don't. And with that being said, because it was like kind of early in my wa- basketball watching days, like I don't remember an exact moment, but yeah, um, I just remember him being just incredibly influential for that team. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Briefly, I can like same as you. This is a little bit before my time. Uh, if I can think of just like a couple things that stick out about Allen's time, uh, one would be the fact that when he he was brought to Seattle uh, in a move that sent Gary Payton away the glove yeah just like <laughs> a guy who is like so well revered in that in that organization as well mm-hmm. and then also i know one of kind of getting down to the very end of the song one year before the sonics left in ray's end of ray's time with seattle he scored he scored 54 points in a game and i know that like wow. just that was a big moment and that was one of the, like the last games he played hmm. as a sonic but wow yeah yeah, I guess transition into his time at Boston. Ugh. Incredible. Man, I I loved it. I mean, the first year, I'll always take pride in, you know, people are like, oh, like Miami, Bosch, Wade, that was like the first super team. Like, no. We were the first super team, but it wasn't as hyped and as like broadcasted as it is now, yeah. you know? So when these guys came together, it was like, oh, we don't know if it's going to work. And then they won the first season. And I think looking at at teams, that was such a well-oiled machine. And yes, I am a Boston fan. I'm very biased. But you look at that team and the starting guys that kind of made that happen. You had Rondo, great distributor, defensive point guard. Ray Allen, streaky shooter, ran so many plays for him. Paul Pierce, the, the heart of that team. And and kind of the True. drive, yeah, the, the, the drive and, and just the aggression, Garnett, um, the passion of that team, the, yeah. the, the leader. And then Kendrick Perkins, the young Kendrick Perkins who emerged and, and kind of, well, now he's long forgotten. But it was just really, really cool to see that, that team. Um, and my highlight of Ray has got to be in the 09 playoffs his shot over Joakim Noah. I remember. Oh yeah. I was, I was in Boston. I was at an Italian restaurant in Boston that that night, and it was, I say it was actually like a pretty fancy restaurant. Like you kind of had a formal thing. It, I was with my family there. Uh, my aunt uh, still lives just just outside of Boston, and that it was game four, double overtime. Everyone in the restaurant. You don't hear any of that. Those plates hitting or anything like that. Nobody's taking a sip from their water or nothing. Everyone is just watching the TV. Double overtime. Incredible. Ray Allen, three-pointer right over uh, Joakim Noah's face. And you if you, you, you can watch that clip. Joakim Noah is in his oh, face. Yeah. And his elevation on that shot was so, so cool. Um, man, I... I don't know. We, we we lost it in the restaurant that day. He he was such a such a great player, um, and again a, a culture guy. And yeah, you know now there's, I think the larger NBA audience is like, okay, why is there all this drama that we're seeing uh, with, with, you know, why are we talking about a team from ten years ago and all this stuff? But he was he was a phenomenal player. And do you have do you have any like stats about Ray Ray's time in Boston? 
Sure. Um, so one, yeah, one thing I just wanted to say about his time in Boston was it was kind of for the first time in his career that he like really had help. That he had right. other, yeah. like, really had good, great other players around him and didn't have to be relied on to be this total number one option. Um, which I think is just kind of interesting. Uh, one thing I did find, so Allen, Ray Allen played in exactly 1,300 regular season NBA games. He shot 40% from three. He played in 171 playoff games. He shot 40% from three in those hundreds. So he shot wow. literally 40% in all of the games he played as an NBA player, which is which is really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's about all I got for, yeah. for real fun Ray Allen stats. I think one of my favorite things, kind of looking back at Ray Allen's career, because like we said, I, I think I was born the year he got drafted. So I was a little a little young to really watch him on Milwaukee and mm-hmm. uh, Seattle. But kind of looking back, um, you see his progression of his career and how he changed his own game to fit within a system that he was on. So you look at Milwaukee and Seattle, he was almost more of a slasher than a shooter. Yeah. He would drive the net, dunk on kids. Like, he was... A really efficient slasher and then you look at his time in Boston and uh, Miami and he was almost exclusively a spot-up shooter and I think just his ability to change his game to most help the team he's on is one of my favorite things about him mm-hmm. yeah and a lot of people will, will come back to that at that at those points and be like oh this is age but shooting 40% in a career from three, especially in when the, the landscape of the NBA was not so heavily three-point based. Like, we're talking, like, 97. Like, you were born that year. Like, yeah. this is a while ago. And he he really, like, I think you said it perfectly, adapted to the system he was in and was just such a competitor. Yeah, and I, I think that goes for, for both the players we've talked about today, of just being absolute competitors. Just both, just warriors yeah. when they were on the court. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I talked about a bit about Nash being mm-hmm. a culture guy. Ray was a big culture guy yeah. too. Uh, you know, one thing I remember about Ray Allen too, he was he was very engaged with refs, and he would always go up and fist bump the refs before game. Uh, very, you know, personable, uh, very, you know, calm and collected. But he was such a. I think both Nash and Ray were very calm and collected. I think Nash had some times where he was really fired and fired up, and Ray Allen did as well. But for the most part, kind of a branch out of that uh, Tim Duncan, not as serious as Tim, Tim Duncan, but very like, you know, collected, kind composed. of stoic, composed, yeah. focused. Yeah, even like, um, I know there's a documentary out there that you can watch. I think it's on YouTube. Of uh, Just like when Steve was trying to get back into the lineup in that last year with the, uh, with the Lakers when he was still being paid and going to the gym every day and working out and... Um, just, just never gave up, and now the work that he does with the uh, that Nash does with the Warriors yeah. as a skill coach, and I know he works out a little bit with like kept with Kevin Durant in the off season, mm-hmm. and just continues to work away. Yeah, it's always cool seeing uh, these players kind of give back to the younger generation. You saw Garnett with uh, Giannis and and Thon, uh, Nash uh, with with Durant and R.J. Re- Barrett. Oh, yeah. He's, that's his, that's godson. his godson, yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I that kind of was cool to me to hear about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a kind of the future of Canadian basketball and like 
the best Canadian basketball player. Connected. Uh, connected. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that is cool. That that's that could be an upcoming story that I think people will look back on and if it works out, we'll see. I know I know Carter Carter, our last guest, wants RJ to go to uh Brooklyn. the, oh, the Nets, yeah. Got a yeah, long yeah. way to go. Got a long way to go <laughs> yeah. before his name is called. But but yeah, two phenomenal players who changed the game. Uh that's all for us today. Again, this was kind of just a tribute to these two players and, and the influence that they've had on the Pacific Northwest landscape of, of basketball players. And next week, there's only, what is today, the, the sixth? There's five days left in the regular season. Mm-hmm. So we'll have plenty to talk about yeah. next Friday. Thanks and for we'll, up. Yeah, we'll, we'll get some playoff matchups for you guys. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.